Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles, and uh, I'll say this for the last time, open up, well, maybe not the last time ever, but the last time for a while, say, open up to the book of Galatians. Uh, We have been journeying through Galatians for uh, about six months, and uh, I've really drug out these uh, these last few verses, but they are so rich, and they are so good. I'm glad you're excited. Amen. Um, I am too. And uh, the Lord has more for us to just see even in these concluding final words that the Apostle Paul gives to us. So I just want to, I just want to ring out every last drip, drip and drop of truth. So we're going to be in Galatians 6. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18 uh, here this morning. Uh, I'm going to read it for us, and then we are going to uh, walk through these few verses together. This is God's word, Galatians 6, 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let me read it again. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I, this is Paul speaking, bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So, as we sort of uh, walk into this, the very last section that the Apostle Paul is teaching here in the, the final concluding sections of Galatians is he's been making contrast, comparing and contrasting, and he's been showing that there's these religious leaders that have been boasting in all of their external appearances and all their external works to get close to God, and he was making this final contrast, and, and he was saying, I don't boast in my flesh, I don't boast in my accomplishments, I boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's making that abundantly clear. And then his final words here in verse 17, he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. I'm so glad Paul says that. Sometimes, I mean, like, it just frees me up to say that. You ever felt like saying that? Please, people, quit causing me so much trouble, right? We've all been there. And Paul's like, but who's he talking to? Like, why is he saying that? Is he just like, leave me alone? Is that kind of what he's getting at? No. He's not talking about that. Is he talking about these people that have been listening to all these false teachers? Like, quit causing me trouble. You're listening to all these false teachers. Is that who he's talking to? No. I think Paul is talking to, right here, the actual false teachers who are attacking his claim as an apostle. So he's saying, listen, you who have caused me great trouble, stop. Stop coming in with false lies and false teaching that is leading this church astray and that is having them fumble and think that it is by their own works that they're going to grow close to God. It is by the grace and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ that they are. So he's saying, stop causing me trouble. But on what basis, Paul? Why? Why should we? It's sort of the inherent question in here. Why should we leave you alone? Because we believe this is what you should be doing. You should be... uh, You should be highlighting all your external efforts to gain righteousness. Why should we leave you alone? And Paul kind of rhetorically answers this question for all these false teachers that have crept into the church. And he says, you know why you should just leave me alone? He says, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. 
Those are some strong words. I bear on my body, ESV says, the marks of Jesus. Uh, It could be rightly translated, the brand marks of Jesus. Um, What does that mean? He says, he's like, look at me. I have scars for my service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he was defending his apostleship, like why you should listen to him, why he has authority, he, he begins by saying, I was beaten with rods, I was whipped, I was thrown into prison. And then he goes through this whole litany of things and he says, these are the marks of Christ. Here he says, these are the brand marks of Christ. And he's looking at these guys that are coming into the church and teaching false doctrine. He says, don't add to my suffering with these things that just aren't true. These brand marks are because I'm preaching the one true gospel. Don't come in and teach something that isn't of him. So he's fired up here, even in these last words. Don't add to my suffering. Uh, If you remember, uh, Paul was actually, they tried to kill him by stoning him, right? By a, a, a mob, an angry mob, gathering stones. And this happened in Galatia at Lystra. So literally in this place, he was contending for the gospel. They tried to kill him, pick up stones, and they begin to pelt him with these rocks. And he has scars from that. And he's writing to this church where the gospel's taken root and they're beginning to believe in the Lord Jesus and uh, 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 discipleship is happening. And he's saying, he's saying, I have the brand marks of Christ. I'm branded with the scars of an apostle. Colossians 1.24, he says this remarkably. I mean, we hear that and we're like, Oh, that just sounds awful. I don't even like thinking about that. This is how Paul thinks about his brand marks of Jesus. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, Lord. That is a hard thing to say. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I mean, incredible. Um, Essentially, what he's saying is, okay, Jesus isn't here. You beat and mocked and hung him on a tree. He's not here anymore, so you can do it to me. I'll take it because he's worthy, and I will rejoice in my sufferings for his sake. (laughs) That, I mean... That's how deeply and how moved the Apostle Paul was changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, Jesus isn't here. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God now. If you want to throw a stone, you throw it at me and I will take it. I will gladly take it and I will rejoice in it if it will advance the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so I bear on my body these marks. The reason I am beaten, the reason I am abused is not because of something I've done. It's because who I represent. These are my apostolic credentials, he's saying. 
These are my apostolic credentials. So he said, don't question my authority on whether or not I can tell you that what you're saying is not of the Lord and is a false gospel. I bear on my body the very marks of Jesus. In the ancient world, and this would have been remarkable that he would have said, that I, have, I have on me the brand marks of Jesus. We hear that and it's kind of like, oh, that sounds horrible. The ancient world hears that and yes, they think it's horrible, but it would have had a much different lens by which to hear those words. Why? Because in the ancient world, slaves were branded. In the ancient world, criminals were branded as a mark of identification of what they've done so they would always be known by what they had done. In the ancient world, soldiers were branded to demonstrate their allegiance So when they were captured, they would say, you brand me as a soldier of this place. And if I'm captured, I will stand tall and say, this is my allegiance. I'm branded. I've got the mark of my general on me and I will never deny it. People who were vilified in culture, who were hated, were branded. I mean, it's it's barbaric, yes, but that, that culturally happened. And so Paul stands up amongst the people that would have had this category in their minds and said, I bear on my body the brand marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will never deny him and I will always contend for the one true gospel and I will do it joyfully. Um, Every scar, he's saying, is a scar, was a brand for Christ. He says, these were the scars of Jesus. So he says, don't trouble me. It's not a petty thing. He says, stop troubling me with these things that aren't of Christ. I represent him and I have the scars to prove it. And then he gives his final farewell. (laughs) After that, you're like, whoa. Whoa. Then he kind of follows up with, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Um, So Paul ends this letter, ends this wonderful, um, theologically rich letter the exact same way he began it. He bookends it. He uses the exact same language. He begins and ends this letter in the exact same way. Let me remind us, in case you don't remember my sermon from six months ago, which I'm sure all of you do. (laughs) I don't really remember it, but uh, here's how he begins his letter. Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you because of Jesus. And he concludes it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul, from the very beginning, to the very end of this letter is pleading with this church, really this collection of churches throughout Galatia. uh, And he's pleading with you and I today. Grace. He wants us to understand the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us that God the Father would get all the glory from beginning 
to the end. And see, I, <clears throat> I, say, I can say that, and I think many of us hear that, and we, I think we hear the word grace, and I, I often think that we, we, we think of the word grace, especially in the church context, maybe a lot like we think of the word love. It's like, it's a nice word. We all want to love each other and we want to like make sure that love abounds and love is great to talk about. But you're like, well, what is love? Well, I don't know. It's love and it's this great feeling and it's uh, being nice to one another. And we hear the word grace and we think the same thing, kind of like love. But love, the essence of love is not sentimentality. The essence of love is sacrificial. Love willingly sacrifices That's true love, not sentimental, not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, because warm, fuzzy feelings come and go. You can't build a life of love on warm, fuzzy feelings, because when they're gone, you'll bail. And we're seeing the results of that uh, play out in myriads of different places all over our culture and world today. Love is sacrifice. The same thing is true of grace. Well, grace is, I like grace, because grace... I don't really know what grace is, but a grace is, it's a word that we sing at church. It's amazing grace, so, so it's gotta be amazing, right? So I know that for sure. Um, we say grace sometimes before we eat a meal, so that that's good, because it's like God is, will grace our food. You're like, oh, is that right? I don't know, like, that sounds weird. Does the grace of God need to be on our food or on us? I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say, Lord. Anyway, that's another sermon altogether. So I think we're just as maybe perplexed a little bit about these sort of churchy junk drawer words, so to speak, that we say a lot and we hear a lot and pastors pound the pulpit a lot to hear about them. But then at the end of the day, we're like, well, I don't know. What does that really mean? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He like says it all the time and it's just sort of what he says, right? Well, um, Grace is a mega theme in our Bible, the grace of God. So I grabbed my Bible concordance uh, and I looked up all of the occurrences of grace in the Bible. Catch this. There are 131 uses of grace in the ESV translation of the Bible. 131. 124 of them are found in the New Testament. Okay? 84 occurrences of the word grace are from the letters from the Apostle Paul, which means two-thirds of all of the uses of the word grace in our Bible are found in one author, Paul. It's no wonder he's called the Apostle of Grace. Paul is ringing this bell, and he wants us to understand and treasure and know and delve deeply into the grace of God. Paul begins every letter calling us to the grace of God and he ends every letter urging and charging us to believe in the grace of God. So what is it? What is grace? Why do we write songs about it? Why do we see it hundreds of times in our Bible? Why does the Apostle Paul use it 86 times in his letter? Grace is this, the undeserved love and favor of God. The undeserved, the unearned love and favor of God. That's grace. So we can't muster up enough energy to make God give it to us. 
We can't do the right things to impress God that he would say, ooh, look at that one. I'm gonna give him some grace. No. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. It is unearned. And for most of us, when we've experienced the most profound inroads of grace in our lives, it has not been when we have been standing tall. It has been when our legs have been cut out from underneath us and we are on our face. And God and his kindness and mercy grants to us grace when we did not deserve it. And he loves that kind of story because we can't take any of the credit and he gets all of it. And then we begin spending our lives telling more and more and more people about this wonderful one that gave me grace when I was on my face and didn't deserve it. In fact, I deserved a kick, but he picked me up and put me in a high place. Undeserved merit, undeserved favor of God. So does the Bible, like, is that just my definition? I think the Bible speaks clearly about this. Romans 3.24 Paul says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. What is justified? We are made right by God. We are legally justified. We are legally made right in the eyes of God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are made right with God by grace as a gift to you and I. You don't earn gifts. Gifts are given. And when you are given a gift, what do we always do? Or what should you do? You just thank the giver. Why did you, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I can't believe you would go out of your way to give me this. That's what God does. He gives us his grace. He says, you, undeserving one, are made right in the sight of God because of a gift that I'm giving to you. And when we receive it, uh, it just produces joy in worship. Romans 11, five through six. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. He said grace like a hundred times there, right? It's like, I'm gonna define grace by using grace, by not using grace, so don't make it grace. Right, but he's like, listen, there's a remnant, there's a small group of people that are chosen by God, not by all your good things we've done, which is he's been telling us all through Galatians, not by all your external impressiveness, not by all uh, your church attendance records, though I wish you attend a church more, right? But that's me, not, it's not the Lord. So he's saying this is on the basis of grace, not works. And if it had anything to do with works, and if it had anything to do with you figuring it out and with you getting it right, it would no longer be grace. You would destroy grace in your very attempt to add any of your own effort into it. Undeserved favor. If you are a child of God in here because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can let the weight off of your shoulders 
that it is not by your righteous deeds and actions and impressiveness that holds you close to God. It is by the unearned, gracious gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ that fills you up completely. Um, See, if I was, or we were, or anyone was, self-righteous, like the people that Paul was addressing in all through Galatians, there just there wouldn't be a need for grace. Like grace doesn't make any sense. Be, why? Because all fulfill the requirements and all take the necessary steps, all climb the religious ladder, and I'll get to the top, or I'll tip the scales, and then God will look upon me favorably, and I don't need grace at all. Because I've just earned it, I've achieved it. Um, that person has no interest in grace. They believe and they want to be entirely self-sufficient. So in order to receive grace, in order to have the grace of God poured out onto our lives, we have to be able to admit our failings and admit that we actually need the unmerited favor of God to land on us. It requires confession and repentance and embracing all of God is and saying, in spite of me. So it requires actually us being vulnerable and honest and saying, I need the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ because I am a complete mess up. And without him, I have nothing. Um, The Bible says you cannot earn God's favor on your own. And Paul says, your best efforts do not earn you heaven. Turn to Christ, turn to Christ, turn to Christ. See, Paul's story, he started as this like, like very religious man, very pious man. He was climbing that ladder of sort of religious status. I know in our culture today, it's like, who would want to climb the ladder of religious status, right? Like no one, like, no way. It's like, but that was like the most coveted, respected. There was a reverence and an honor for a rabbi and a teacher. They had a place of honor in the community. They had a place of honor in the temple and they were revered and they were listened to and they had political authority and they had cultural authority and they had all types of benefits. Um, And so Paul was climbing that ladder and he was one of their very best. And he did not need the grace of God in that place before he met the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus crashed into his life on the Damascus road, it was there that he met Jesus and realized his deep, deep need for the grace of God to come pouring in and crashing in on his life. And it wasn't this. It wasn't Paul found out that Jesus was on the scene and knew he existed, that he needed the grace of God, it was only when he met Jesus that he needed to cry out for the grace of God. See the difference? It wasn't like, oh, and there's a guy named Jesus. I probably need some grace now. No, it's not like there's a man named Jesus who lived one day a long, long time ago, and so I might need some grace. It was no. Jesus has... It has crashed into his life, blinded him on the Damascus Road, and he realized his need for the grace of God in his life. He met Christ personally. 
There's a world of difference between knowing about someone and really knowing someone. Let me give you an example. Stick with me. Okay? I've been doing that a lot lately. I'm about to go on sabbatical, so I'm just going to say, like, I'm about to leave. So, for a little while. Um, when I was in junior high, high school, okay, uh, I, ooh, yeah, I loved Chris Farley. Anyone remember Farley? Yeah. Funniest, okay, three of y'all do. Okay, this is for y'all right here. Kevin and Mitch, rest of y'all tune out, okay? Um, Chris Farley, if you've never heard of Chris Farley, he's just, I I think, and I thought, and I still do think he's one of the most hilarious human beings to ever live and walk and breathe. I knew everything about Farley. I watched all of his movies. I had them all memorized. I uh, loved watching Saturday Night Live with all his quirky skits. And it was just, in fact, here's how far the weird obsession and love for Chris Farley that I had. Uh, I had, remind you, this was like 1995, okay? So this is like when we still called it the World Wide Web. Okay, are you tracking? Uh, I made, I think, I'm not positive, the very first fan page dedicated to Chris Farley. Yeah, I know. I know you're impressed. Okay? On this web page, it had Chris Farley is awesome or something like that on the top. Uh, and it, like, I think some of the text moved in and out like this. You could download audio clips from all the movies and all of his SNL bits. Video files didn't exist. They were too huge because these files basically overloaded my family's computer. And my mom was mad that I was doing this. But this was, track with me, this was way before it was like click a button and drag a picture to make a website. You had to learn HTML coding. And I learned it for Farley. Okay? I loved me some Chris Farley. This was before I was a Christian. I know it was idolatrous, but I wasn't a believer in Christ, okay? So not that that's a pass, but more need for grace in my life, okay? I just thought he was the greatest. But had I walked into a room where Chris Farley was, he would have had no idea who I was. I knew everything about him. I knew like where he went to college. I knew like his life story, how he got on the comic circuit, uh, and how he ended up on SNL. How he got discovered. Why these movie? Why this movie was better than this movie? Right? I was just like I knew everything that I could know back when we had the World Wide Web and AOL uh, Instant Messenger chat to find out all the information I could in 1996. But he had no idea who I was. I was just a fan, an overzealous fan. And a lot of people talk about their walk with Jesus like I just talked about my love for Chris Farley. Look at all this stuff I did. Look at all this work that I went to. Look at the lengths that I did this, this, that, and the other. I had clips and audio bites. The Bible says you need to meet him. And you need to know him. And what do I mean? Like, You're like, well, uh, Sean, he's not here. Like, how do we meet him? He's given to us his very word and we can encounter him by opening up that which he's given to us. God can send the very spirit of God into our hearts and we can have an encounter and we can meet him and he can change our hearts, replace our hearts of stone and give to us a heart of flesh and now he doesn't look at us as someone who knows maybe things about him, but he can call us now son and daughter of the most high because we've met him and we know him. He changes our affections. He changes our lives. 
He changes the trajectory of our lives entirely. And when Paul met Jesus, Jesus was imprinted on his heart and mind. He transformed his heart and mind. That's what the scriptures tell us. And when that happened to Paul and when that happens to us, through salvation, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us an entirely new view of Jesus because he now knows us and he can call us by name. It gives us an entirely new view of the followers of Jesus, the church. We can love one another. We can be honest and vulnerable with one another. We don't have to jockey for position or authority to try to be better than one another because we're all on level playing field and we're all trying to get toward and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness. So we can be vulnerable and honest. He gives us a whole new perspective about that. And he gives us a whole new perspective on ourselves. He changes even our own hearts. The grace of God. Second point, I'm almost done. I went too long. Uh, The grace of God is not only undeserved favor. It is not less than that, but it is not only that. But according to our Bible, it is the very power of our lives, of how we live our lives. Well, what do I mean? Well, let's look at scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's grace is sufficient for you to live your life even in your most weakest places. That's how we we get through. That's how we can keep walking in this life. His grace is sufficient for you in your life right now, in your most vulnerable place. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul's saying, all the work that I did, I am who I am by the grace of God. He's like, I worked harder than anyone. I put my hand to the plow and worked harder, but it wasn't for me and it wasn't to earn God's favor. It was the grace of God that helped me do that, that even allowed me to do that. I wouldn't have done it on my own. Paul's saying, even in my ministry and all the work that I've accomplished that you're reading about in these letters, the grace of God propelled me. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Um, The grace of God abounding is the only way we can actually ever accomplish any good work. So, practically speaking, um, if your life looks just identical after you met Jesus, like you're before Christ and after Christ, if it, nothing at all changed, if, not, if you're the same exact person, um, I don't, you didn't meet Jesus. You, just, you, may, you might know about him. Jesus comes in 
and gives us a whole new affection, a whole new heart, a whole new mind, a whole new outlook on life, a whole new outlook on people, a whole new disposition of how we treat people and what we know about people and how we walk and live in this world by his grace. And it is all that he has done. But he, he comes crashing into our lives and makes pervasive changes in our heart as we walk out this salvation and work it out with fear and trembling as the scripture tells us. He is Savior, he is Lord, he is King, and he's come to transform us. And we are filled and we are fueled by grace. It changes us. First uh, Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Though formerly I was a blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's what happens. I didn't know what I was doing and the grace of God came crashing in and overflowed into my life and out of my life around the people that I come in contact with. So we in this room come from all different backgrounds, probably all different church experiences. But whatever your race or your status, whatever your gender, the love of God in Jesus Christ is now expressed to you and is your fuel for living as Christians is the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen how Paul ends his letter in Ephesians in a very similar way that he ends Galatians. Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This love crosses all boundaries. It's a love that crosses the boundary of time into eternity because this love found in Jesus is incorruptible because Jesus is still alive and he's ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why it's incorruptible. Moth and rust can't destroy it. You can't take it because he has it and he keeps it and he is alive and he dispenses it. So real practically, do you know this love? Has this grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ invaded your hearts and minds and transformed you? Are you an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer? Um, religion and keeping the rules will not get you closer to him, though we try. Um, it's not do this and stop doing that. It's when the grace of God comes in through your life, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that it changes, and it changes our desires. And we no longer have to live in shame and guilt for our sins, but we can live in the hope and the peace and the mercy and love of God. And that's what Jesus does. And that's the end of Galatians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would help us be a people marked by your grace, by your peace, by a love that is incorruptible. God, would you land heavy on us as a people? We need you. More than ever, God, we need you now to do a move and a work in our lives. God, not by our own efforts, not by putting ourselves up, God, but by 
your very goodness and your kindness and your mercy and you giving to us the gift of your grace that is undeserved, that is the very power for how we shall live. God, I pray for anyone in here that has never tasted that, never had that. God, uh, would this be the morning that they would bend a knee to you, Lord Jesus? And when they say, God, I bring my empty hands of faith, And Lord, would you give me all that you are through Jesus, through his death, burial, and victorious resurrection on that third day. And may he grant to me life and mercy and peace in this grace that I've just heard about. And God, would you spring up salvation from the ground as only you can do. And God, I pray for maybe some in here that uh, need a fresh dose of your grace. Lord, would they be brave enough to ask for it? You're a God that listens. You're a God that loves your children. And so if that's you, would you ask the Lord Jesus to um, come in and to give you his grace and his mercy and a love that is incorruptible and may it swell in your hearts with joy abounding. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship church.